Jewish Latin Princess, Episode 62, Javi Brook, co-director of Chabad Lubavitch of Montana, on the gift of adoption and raising an unconventional family. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast by Yael. Every week, get your dose of inspiration from the world's most uniquely talented Jewish women and from Yael herself. Seeking profound and practical ways to live a joyful, richer Jewish life? Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. And now, Jewish lifestyle expert and bilingual blogger at jewishlatinprincess.com, your host, Yael. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Welcome to the show. Today's interview takes the concept of parenting, intentional parenting, to a whole new level. I'm talking to Javi Brook. Javi is the co-director of Chabad Lubavitch of Montana in Bozeman, Montana, a remote town with a very small Jewish population. But that's not why I brought her to the show, although yes, that is incredible and admirable. I brought her to the show because after facing the challenge of infertility, Javi and her husband are now parents to five adopted children. But it doesn't just end there. The circumstances around each of these children's adoption is more than unique and miraculous, and Javi's display of faith, perseverance, and intentionality is exceptional and something that you have to listen for yourselves. Just to name one of the incredible circumstances that you will hear about today, Javi's seven-year-old daughter has GLUT1 deficiency, a disorder so rare that she's the only one in the state of Montana to have it. I had the pleasure of listening to Javi tell her story um, a number of years ago and I'm at a women's convention and I knew then that I wanted to hear more from from Javi and that I wanted to share her with all of you um, in the podcast eventually. So here we are today. This episode is not just for women considering adoption or facing infertility. This episode is for everyone. We all have a struggle. We all face challenges. Everyone can learn the lessons that Javi shares with us today. Get ready because this is authentic, real, and just absolutely inspiring. Here's Javi Brook. Javi Brook, welcome to Jewish Latin Princess. It's so great to connect with you. Thanks. It's really an honor to be here. Javi, I heard you a couple of years ago. I heard your incredible story of faith and perseverance raising your beautiful, large family in Montana. Um, and I remember at that point being so inspired. And this podcast was just, you know, a thing that I was thinking of launching one day. But I just had you in my mind for the longest time that I wanted to have this conversation. For, but first, before we even get to your family, to you and your husband, let's give a little backdrop, um, some context to listeners about where you live, because you're you're out in Bozeman, Montana, which is not your average Jewish community. Um, so before we explore the impact that you've had there, um, tell us what is Jewish life there? So Bozeman, Montana is um, a small town in, in the Wild West, <laughs> and <laughs> it is a beautiful town. We're in the mountains and it is just gorgeous. I mean, we have like nine months of winter a year, so that can get a little difficult. Um, but it is a wonderful family oriented place to, to, you know, great place to raise a family. And it is kind of out of the way, like you really have to work hard to get here. Hmm. But um, it's it's beautiful. And how Bozeman, many how many Jewish yeah, families live there? So um, I can't give you an exact. 
exact number, but we, um, our estimate is a between five and 600 Jewish households, mm. um, which means at least one person in the house is Jewish. There is an, like a 99% intermarriage rate here in, Mon- in Bozeman, Montana. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, I mean, considering the population um, size of Bozeman, it is an, a really nice amount of, of Jewish families. And you moved there over 10 years ago, right? Yes, we moved 11 years ago in 2007. And um, yeah, I've been here 11 years and we love it. Amazing, amazing. What's the what's the closest large city <laughs> that you get to? Um, okay, so that's a good question. So l- larger cities would be, for example, Salt Lake City uh-huh. is um, Salt Lake City, Utah is about a seven hour drive. Um, Denver, Colorado is about a 10 hour drive and oh, Seattle, wow. Washington is about a 10 hour drive. So those are our three major cities that are around us. Okay. All right. Um, so that gives us a little context of Jewish life. And I'm, presume, I'm presuming that before you and your husband got there and you said that there is such a high intermarriage rate, I mean, there, what, ki- what kind of Jewish life was happening? Was, I'm, I'm assuming there wasn't much going on, at least um, publicly. Yeah, um, there is a reform temple in Bozeman. They were meeting, they had like a traveling rabbi and they would kind of have once a month or, you know, even less often um, some kind of gathering. Hmm. But that's kind of really it that was going on here. Right, right, right. So you have five children, Kinanahara, five children that you and your husband adopted. And I want to go through those stories of adoption because the each of those circumstances um, are just have so many lessons and divine providence and just incredible miracles around them. Um, but let's take us back in time a little bit to the early days of your marriage and when the reality that adoption might be a possibility because going the natural route didn't look like what's happening. Take us back right. to those painful moments of realization. Okay, so um, we got married in March of 2006 and um, we moved out to Bozeman in March in 2007. We moved a day after our anniversary and um, you know, as expected, you get married, you have this kind of vision of how your life is going to be, you know, both, you know, have um, many siblings. And, you know, I always wanted a big family. And, you know, that was just kind of my plan. And um, as time went on, and it didn't, it wasn't happening, like I thought it was going to, and we started, you know, delving into that world of, you know, checking everything out and all the tests and all the doctors and um, going through that route of infertility. And we, you know, that was, you know, a year or so of of doing all those things. And then, you know, we kind of came to this point where we had a procedure scheduled. And it was basically if this procedure was successful, then, you know, that would be wonderful. And if it wasn't, that was it. There was no there was like, that was the end of the line, there was nothing else left to do. Mm. And so this um, procedure was scheduled for Arif Shavuos in New York. And um, uh, as it turns out, it was not successful. And the doctor, um, just told us he's like, you know, um, unless there's, you know, this huge miracle that Mm -hmm. happens, you guys are not having biological children. Oh, my gosh. 
it was, you know, kind of surreal to be, and he wasn't very, he was a good doctor, but not a very emotional doctor. So it was very like cut and dry and no kind of emotion with it. And, um, and I was 23 and my husband was 26. And <gasps> I feel like that's really, really young to get such life altering um, news and kind of having to process that and um, just kind of, you know, it was, so it was very, very shocking, very painful. Um, and we were kind of just like, you know, okay, well, what now? And I'm the type of person that um, doesn't, I don't have a lot of patience, you know? Mm. And I'm kind of just like, okay, well, okay, so if we're not having biological, biological children, well, what's happening? Because I'm not going to be in this world without raising a family. Like, I just didn't know how to do that. For some people, that's okay. Uh-huh. But for me, I was just like, I don't, that's not an option for me. So I'm going to figure out how to um, uh, realize my dream, but in an un, you know in a different unconventional way and so that's kind of how adoption came into into play and it's actually interesting because when we got off the phone with my parents after this lovely event my hmm. father said you know I think just off the cuff and he didn't realize what an impact that had but he said you know maybe there's some children out there who are just waiting for you you know and I really took that to heart and I was like okay well adoption is what it's going to be now mind you I'm 23 years old I have no idea what it means to adopt and right. so it was a very long process to actually um learn about it all the ups and downs all the you know the things that work and don't work and it was a few years till you know adoption was actually a reality but right then and there it was a decision that i made be you know with my husband obviously that you know we're gonna you know we're gonna figure this out now it does not take away from the grief and the pain and that you know time of you know mourning yeah. you know that loss of you know your 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 plans and your future that you you know had thought was gonna be and wasn't um so but before we get to now the intricacies of adoption that you soon after had to learn about I want to go back to what you said and to your father's statement because I think it's worth stressing that that you that you didn't that for you not having children was just not an option and like you suggested not everybody might have taken that approach. So I want to I want to dig into a little bit where wh what what is it that you're thinking there? Where does that come from? And I saw it in your father too. There is there is a belief there in 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 having children. I want to talk to us a little bit about that. Okay, so, um, you know, I think it's about really knowing who you are, and knowing what you want out of life and not letting anything stand in your way. So mm -hmm. I, I really want to stress the po point that just because I did it this way doesn't mean it's right or right for everybody, you know, but I know myself mm -hmm. and I know that I grew up, I'm the oldest of nine. I grew up with a big family. I, I know what my dream is and what I want. And I don't, didn't know how I was going to, um, to me, like I said, to me, having a family is, was the most important thing to me. Mm. So, you know, when you're told you're not going to have a family in a conventional way, there's two ways you can go you can say okay I will I will learn to live my life differently and I will learn to be without a family which is an okay option but for me I'm like well no I'm going to have a family and I'm just going to figure out a way to do it maybe it's going to be a unconventional maybe it's going to be you know kind of at coloring outside the box that was created you know in our communities but that's okay with me because you know my goal mm. is you know is to have a family 
am. And as long as I get there in a kosher, you know, proper way, right. but it could be a little out of the box. I, you, you know, for me, I just didn't want, you know, I didn't let anything stand in my way of realizing my dream. And mm-hmm. yeah, go ahead. No, it's I, I hear that we have to be intentional about what we want. And we yeah. need to know what we want and who we are um, with respect to, you know, what our goals yeah. are. Right. So so now let's go to the process, because I remember the story of your first child, and it was miraculous in and of itself finding this mm-hmm. child. So do you want to start with that and how that came about? Sure. Um, I think that's, you know, the great way to start because it's just kind of how the journey began. Um, and so so we get this news and we're like, okay, adoption, right? And it's like, okay, well, how do we figure out even what it means to adopt? And there's international adoption, there's domestic adoption, there's, you know, we're looking into all these countries, and it's really complicated. And, and then, you know, looking, we just we're, we're just really kind of confused about where to go. And there's not a lot of guidance, because we're kind of, you know, the first ones to really do this, you know, in this kind of, I mean, there are sporadic, you know, stories, but kind of, you know, you know, in the rec- our recent times, we didn't know anybody who adopted, you know, mm-hmm. so um, in the Chabad community, for sure. So we, um, we were kind of just like muddling through. And, you know, we definitely like started the legal process, which is getting a home study, which means um, you are legally um, approved to adopt, you can't just adopt, you know, mm. you have to have, you know, you have to be vetted, kind of, you know, if you will, you know, and so you have an organization that will come and, you know, kind of check your house. And it's tons and tons and tons of paperwork and questions and essays and reading materials and fingerprints and so that's a really long process so we got going on that side of things so you know god willing if anything would come up we'd be ready you know and have our home study in place and as far as you know finding a baby or a child was you know happening simultaneously and um it was that my husband was in new york for the kinesash lachem i think it was 2009 Mm -hmm. um and he has a really good friend who lives in russia and he kind of opened up about our situation and you know being that he lived in Russia, he's like, listen, if you know, a situation ever arises, you know, just keep us in mind. And, um, and that was that. And then later that night, um, at the convention, they showed this unpublicized gem video about the Rebbe talking to two women about adopting babies. And it's the first time they've ever showed this video. And it was just we really felt that Hashkacha process. And we really felt like the Rebbe and Hashem giving us a message that, you know, this is the right thing for you. This is the path that you should go on. It really was really special and amazing to get that message right at the right time you know um and and so that was kind of you know you know the conference came and went and then a couple weeks later you know, it was um, after Sukkot, um, the next year, so not a couple of the next year, um, to make a long story short, there was this um, woman in Russia who gave birth to a baby nine weeks early. Um, she was three pounds, you know, really not well. Mm-hmm. And... Um, was in the hospital for, you know, six weeks, you know, with surgeries and all these kinds of things. And when it was time to discharge the baby, um, they called my husband's friend and, um, you know, just needed guidance and the birth mother needed guidance and help. And they really wanted this baby to go to America for further evaluation. They kind of did all they could with the resources that they had there. And um, the birth mother agreed. And and this couple flew with this mom to New Jersey to get a medical evaluation 
for this baby. And during this process, um, the birth mother realized that she just couldn't manage it and she couldn't handle it. And it, and she really wanted um, a, a life that she couldn't provide for her child. And she decided that she wanted to give up this baby for adoption. And, um, and they're already in the States when this happened. And this couple, you know, obviously did a lot of talking and working through and she had to see social workers and, you know, making sh- making sure that she was sound in her decision and she was adamant. And we got a phone call that said, you know, are you guys still interested in adoption? We have a situation. And that's how we um, became parents. And and so this girl, who's my first child, Chaya, um, was nine weeks old and we adopted her in New Jersey. And um, she was our first child. And it was such a, a an amazing, you know, experience and just how the Hashkacha Pratis and of all, of how it all came to be is is really fascinating. And um, talk about a miracle to have children, never mind, even adoption is a miracle, you know, like yes. the process and the the divine intervention that happens and, all, you know, the little things that you say to the right person at the right time is just amazing how if Hashem wants it to be, it will be, you know, right. It's like she was meant for you and your husband so does does this mean that you know Chaya's parents so I know biological parents um I have never met Uh her her parent her well her birth father's not in the picture but her birth mother I've I've never met um because it was you know it was a closed adoption Uh um, on her you know the birth mother's request and so you know we were not in the same room or we did not cross path you know so the 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 couple in Russia know who it is but we but we and we know her name but we've never actually met her. so you bring Chaya home you have this wonderful child and shortly after you how did how does baby number two Zizi come into the picture okay so um we bring Chaya home and it's really you know fabulous obviously and and also being a new mom is ha- you know is challenging and it's like being a new mom if you give birth to right so you're figuring everything out and sure it's, you know, it's wonderful and exhausting at the same time but um a couple months later we get a call from a shliach in New Jersey with a situation where um, a birth mom is going to give birth and isn't able to provide for this child and wanting to know if we were interested. And we're like, yeah, absolutely. So 11 months later, oh no, yeah, 11 months later, because they're 13 months apart and um, we got high at two and a half months. So a little less than 11 months later, we um, brought Zizi into our family. And um, so they were kind of like both babies at the same time, which was, you know, really cool, really cool and <laughs> really fun of, <laughs> brings really a lot of life life to the to the household <laughs> yeah like when I look back at that I'm like how actually did I do that because now I look at you know my baby who's almost 10 months old and she'll be one soon I'm like there's still such babies when they're one like uh-huh. how did I have another one like uh-huh. and I know people do this all the time but when you look back at it you're just like wow yeah like, and, and I, it's worth mentioning here for listeners that it's not like you and your husband while you're going through all this the research all the stuff and then finally having children it's not like you ever could take a break from your day job I mean you are the leaders of the Jewish community like that's yeah that's exactly. still going that's on in the backdrop hard. exactly that's a 24 7 um job and we were you know and we were already here for 
I want to say like three years. So, you know, we had Baruch Hashem, lots of stuff going on. And, you know, we wanted definitely to keep that up. And our, our, our mission in Montana is, is, is extremely important. And so, you know, we, it was really important for us not to let that kind of fall by the wayside while all this is going on. So, right. you know, it was, you know, it's busy. It's very busy. So ZZ is your second and now you have a toddler and you realize something is not right. What happened then? Okay, so... Um Cece, when she was one years old, she was in her high chair and during breakfast and she kind of just went limp and started to experience a seizure. Um, and we rushed her to the hospital and no one can really find any definitive, you know, anything, you know, wrong per se. And it is true that children could have a seizure, you know, and it never comes back. Some some kids have fever induced seizures, you know, but th- she was healthy. She wasn't sick. Um, and we kind of just were like told to go home and kind of just watch and see. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as you know, as she's getting older, she, her development's a little delayed, like she didn't walk until she was two, you know, she was delayed, you know, with her movements and her speech. Um, and she was having these um, crying episodes where she would just kind of go into this crying mode. And um, we called them these like meltdowns, but they weren't like regular tantrums, like basically, they would last like over an hour and then she would be totally out of it and she oh. wouldn't be able to communicate with you and she would kind of say weird stuff that didn't make sense and um it was really you know kind of bizarre and it was very very um just dis- like it was very hard to manage and you know she we would do she would do it often and then when this was happening i mean all, you know everything had to stop like she kind of took over and um it was very challenging and so we took her um to a neurologist we don't have a pediatric neurologist just in Bozeman. So we had to travel to Billings, which is two hours away to a, to go to a visiting pediatric neurologist because they don't have a permanent one either. So that we there was this visiting neurologist coming from Salt Lake and he kind of checked her out and he's like, no, she's just, everything's fine. It's all behavioral. Like, you know, don't worry about it. Mm. And, and we kind of were like, okay, this is a neurologist. They know better than us. But after a while, we're just like, no, this is not right. You know, like there is too many signs of something up and but I didn't know what to do because I live in Montana and we don't have the facility facilities to kind of address this issue and so I was talking to a friend of mine who lives in New Jersey and she was telling me about this comprehensive neurological center where you can take your child kind of do like all testing so you know they'll do EEGs and they'll do psychological you know psychological and they'll do um all, all the testing for the brain under one roof and I was like you know what that's what I need you know I need to like do a full workup mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I took her and she was about three then. So I took her and we went for like three days and we got a full evaluation. And what we discovered was that she was she was having multiple seizures a day um, through her EEG. We And she wasn't sleeping at night. And so she'd wake up in the morning. It looked like she was sleeping, but her brain wasn't. And she'd wake up in the morning so disoriented and so cranky. Like it was almost like she had low blood sugar. And our doctor kept on testing her sugar because she'd wake up and she'd be so disoriented and so um, confused. Like she'd want food and then she wouldn't want food and she, you know, and she, and she would make you crazy and no one knew what she wanted and she didn't know what she wanted. And it was because her brain was so exhausted. 
and um, and so she was diagnosed with epilepsy. Um, but the the doctor was like, you know, I really would like to. Epilepsy is a huge general term, you know. And so if we can, sometimes if you do genetic testing, you can kind of pinpoint where in the brain the seizure is coming from or what is going on to kind of help us decide which you know which medic you know there's a lot of different medications and which medication would be the right one and what you know how to go further. Okay. A lot of times you don't get any more answers and you're kind of just having to figure out. Um, but with ZC, we discovered um, through genetic testing and through uh, com- com- confirming her diagnosis with a spinal tap is that she has a really rare genetic disorder called GLUT1. Um, and GLUT1 is when the brain doesn't process glucose. Um, glucose, especially for children, is your main energy source. And that's where the brain receives its energy to function. Mm-hmm. And um, she, her glucose transporters, the transporters that um, pass, that that allow the glucose from the blood past the blood-brain barrier are deficient. And so she doesn't get um, anywhere near the right amount of glucose to sustain her brain and the energy that she needs. So not only is it, it so epilepsy is really just a symptom of her condition. Mm-hmm. The seizures are a symptom of her brain being energy deprived. And so are her developmental delays and everything else that we were seeing made complete sense with this diagnosis. Um, so yeah, so she was diagnosed with GLUT1 and um, there is no like a cure for how, it. How many people in the world have such a condition? So um, 500 people in the world are diagnosed. It's getting a little bit more because first of all, GLUT1 is extremely hard to diagnose because it, it masks as so many other things, right? Uh-huh. You can think it's epilepsy. You can think it's just a movement disorder. And if you don't know to test for this, then, you know, it's it's really hard to to kind of ma- to find. So it's already so it's, a miracle that you even got to the bottom of this because they yeah, could have told you it's epilepsy and then that's well, it. Well, in the beginning, we were treating it for epilepsy and she was on the seizure med that was, her- I mean, it wasn't working. And oh, gosh. it turns out that it's the complete wrong medication for mm. someone with GLUT1. But how would you know if you don't know, you know? Right. So um, so yeah, as we're getting, you know, so it's, I think it's becoming a little bit more, um, you know, a- easier to diagnose because doctors are becoming more aware of it and they will test for it. But it is, whichever way you twist it, it's a very, very rare disorder. So Um, practically speaking, how did that, you know, now what changed at home? You know, how did you have to take on a practical level, uh, on a practical level, care of CZ to, with her condition? Exactly. So being that there's no cure, the only uh, form of treatment is a ketogenic diet. And I know the ketogenic diet is a really big fad right now. It's (laughs) like, oh, I know the ketogenic diet. And yes, the basic concepts are the same. You're wanting you're wanting to eat high fat and and you know very very low carb. Um, but the medical version of a ketogenic diet is very different than a weight loss version. And um, she is only I have to measure and weigh her food. So she eats um, very specific ratios. So she has a certain amount of fat to everything else ratio that she has to eat. And so in order to provide that, everything that she puts in her mouth has to be a certain ratio there's no such thing as like popping a strawberry in your mouth because what that would do is the glucose she'd get glucose it wouldn't get to her brain and then her brain malfunctions you know oh, so she needs to have everything even if it's a tiny snack it needs to be the right ratio of fat to everything else so she's on a like about a three to one ratio um and it thank god there is a computer program that i can use to kind of calculate her food because not only do you have to have um the ratio correct but you need to have you know each 
meal has to have a certain amount of calories. It has to have a certain amount of protein. And um, and all these things together have to work. And so it's very scientific. And I would never be able to do it with my brain. So um, you kind of calculate these meals. And she has about five meals a day that are, you know, equal in all these, you know, aspects. And she also, she has a very limited amount of calories. So she's also not eating a lot. She eats very, very little, um, which is how her brain works optimally. Like there's no, like we eat when we're hungry and we eat when we're bored and we eat when we're happy and we eat when we're <laughs> sad, you know? And so for her, she gets exactly what her brain needs for the next three hours. And then in three hours later, she will be hungry because she has used, there's no like extra storage. Uh-huh. Um, and that's how the, her, you know, the brain works best for her. So um, it is a huge, it was a huge, huge, huge adjustment um, to kind of figure out these meals. And it's a huge time commitment as well. It takes a long time to kind of prep her meals. Um, it's been almost three years now. So, you know, now it's become routine. routine. And um, it's, you know, it's and then- part of life, it still takes the same amount of time. Um, and I do have some help sometimes with that. And, um, and she is an amazing kid. And she, you know, we call it the magic diet. Um, <laughs> because it does magic for her brain. I love it. And she's a kid that accepts it. And you will rarely hear her complain, like every kid wow. around there eating pizza or candy, whatever. And she's happy with her food. She does complain about being hungry, you know, more than you know, and there's sometimes I can help. And sometimes I'm like, you just have to wait for your next meal. Like there's nothing I can do because she mm. only has a certain amount of she can't just eat on a whim. She only has a certain amount of meals that she can have a day. So if she finishes all her meals by 1pm, then that's it. That's all she gets. So we have to, you know, we have to, you know, the meals have to be spaced accordingly so she can get the right amount of food throughout the day. So sometimes that's a challenge depending on where she is. If she's growing, you know, and she's hungry more, it's more of a challenge than when she's, you know, not as hungry. Wow. So, How old is Cezy now? She's seven, Kanahara. She'll, um, she's, you know, eight and um, she was born on Shemini Atzara. So are you, are you homeschooling your kids, Javi? So my kids are not homeschooled. Oh, okay. And that's another kind of unconventional path that we took. They are in local schools, um, being all for they all have high needs in different ways. And um, homeschool was just not the right choice for us. And so we kind of had to think out of the box again, right? And, and thank God for the guidance of uh, Rav and Amashpia and all those things to help us make the right choice. Um, that was what was right for our family. And I, you know, I'm very respectful in not advocating for something like that. And everyone has to really do what's good for their family. But for us, it's been um, the best thing I could have done. And I'm very grateful to have been able to make that choice. And kind of I had to work really hard and filtering out the noise around me and not worry about what it looks like and not worry about what people will think. Mm -hmm. And really kind of dig deep and understand what was best for my children and for me. For you. Because Mm -hmm. being, um, being a mom is really hard. And being a mom and a teacher, I just didn't think it wasn't it wasn't working. And it I wasn't the best my my best self trying to do both right um, with my children because they are you know there's one with ADHD and one with you know and they just needed that structure and they needed that um, you know they get services in school and all the things that they get and so I'm very grateful to have had the, the support around me to be able to do that and to make that decision because I cannot even imagine what it would be like otherwise right right so anyone in your situation on your husband 
and and rightfully so i don't think that you know one could argue against have making the decision one to maybe leave montana um, but as right. you mentioned before that was not an option you are completely committed to your work as chabad emissaries of the community and leaders of the community or two not to continue adopting children this was challenging enough baruch hashem they are two precious children um but you continued on this road and um so and then the next child came with its own you know life of its you know the whole story unique, unique circumstances yeah for sure. <laughs> so tell us about him he sounds so fun okay so my third is many um and he what makes him unique is that he is biracial so he's black and but you didn't know that going into it right so we were actually told that it was a possibility so that so what happens with a biracial situation is that it can go either way you know uh-huh. um and you just don't know it's a you know it's a one in three chance that you'll have a child that's white a child that's black or a child that's you know kind of a mix mm-hmm. and um basically we just had to be okay with whatever was going to happen and that was also you know that's a process of of figuring out who you are and what you're capable of and what's important to you and and for me you know I you know it wasn't it wasn't a problem for me you know and I really was really ready to embrace that challenge and 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 like I say you know inherently my husband and I believe that people inherently are not racist right Mm -hmm. um and they you know in the firm community it's not that people are racist it's just that it's different and people don't really know what to say or to respond to a from little black kid running around show you know what I mean like it's not that they're racist and they're gonna be you know but sometimes it's just it's just different and different needs to be be, um, you know, uh, embraced instead of yes, against, you know, and so we just really, you know, really thought that we can handle it. And um, it was the best thing we ever did. He's awesome. Good for you. And, and he he's wonderful. And you know, most most of the time, it's like not even it's not even a thing, you know, right once in a while, you know, you have to um, be able to um, ha- grow a little bit of a thicker skin because people will say things that um, not necessarily you know some people mean well and just don't realize what they're saying and some people are not as kind or whatever and you're going to meet all types of people in the world and I feel like you know our job as parents is just to instill in our children the confidence and the um the just being proud of themselves and who they are and we can't protect them from everything and we can't protect them I don't know when he's going to go into yeshiva what's going to you know I'm not going to protect him from every mean thing a kid's going to say but what I could do is give him the tools and the knowledge to be okay with himself and proud of himself that if a kid says something to him he's going to be able to be okay and and not Mm -hmm. let that destroy him and so that's just and I think that goes for all children exactly you want to instill in them confidence you want it because kids are mean sometimes and no matter though someone you know they can make fun of you if you have glasses or if you know if you're you know absolutely any any situation so it's just about you know being very open having these conversations and like many says he go you know he's in montana which is a very white predominantly white community right and all his friends are white and all you know his family's white and he says he comes home and he says i want to be white you know (laughs) and we talk about it and we you know we I don't say why do you want to be white you know like okay well you know let's talk about this let's you know you know work through his emotions and then hopefully through these conversations we make him proud of who he is and and really 
you know, teach them that we are all different, you know, That's you're different right. because your skin color is different, but you're also different because you have different talents than the sister, you know, your sister next to you, you know, you are super musical and you dance and you sing and your sister is, you know, an amazing writer and, you know, everyone's different and, and we also look different and we also, and, but that's okay. Like, I don't want to teach him to be colorblind. I think that's ridiculous. I think we have to recognize our differences and understand who we are, but I want to teach him that it's okay to be different. And that's what makes the world a wonderful place. How boring would it be if we were all the same? Absolutely. Absolutely. I didn't ask you before, but up till now, the kids, they, they were, their birth mothers were Jewish, meaning the kids were born Jewish. You didn't have to go through a conversion, right? So um, I have um, some and some. Oh, okay. Okay. um, And like I tell um, when I speak or when everyone asks me these questions, I'm very open about that. But as far as who is who, that's... Yeah, I was going to say, I don't want to ask you who is who. It's irrelevant. It's a fine line of sharing and being really open with my story, but also respecting that these are also my children's stories. Totally. And they have to be okay with what I'm saying. So certain things, that will be up to them to share. Yeah, and it's so want. the truth is it's irrelevant. Um, um, I just yeah, wanted, exactly. I, I just wanted um, to make people aware that in that case, that is a reality that one has to yeah. go through. And that's it. You just go through yeah, it. Okay. Exactly. And, um, and so there are certain, you know, I just I'm really careful in respecting their story and their privacy. So a lot of things are public. And a lot of things is, you know what, when Good they get you. older, they're going to be able to share that part of their stories if they want to. And if they don't want to, they that's perfectly to. okay. Good for I, you. you know, but it's as much as this, you know, this is my journey, but it's also their journey. Right, you know? right, right. And so I just have to be able to walk that fine line because I, I like to share and I like to be able to, um, you know, share the wonderful experiences at the same time, be respectful of, you know, my children. Right. So then you adopt a preteen who comes with their own, you know, now you're used yeah. to raising young children, you know, you're right. going through this, but raising a preteen is like a whole different ball game. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I would know because I'm in that stage now and it's like oh what just hit us yeah. <laughs> exactly and then my my oldest was um seven and so I really kind of jumped the game the you know the game here but um so my my our fourth child is Shoshana and um she is my fourth child that I adopted but is the oldest so it's, it's kind of fun we mix that up a little bit that caused a whole other host of challenges who Haya you know her identity was being the, the oldest. oldest and so right. that was a really so we it's so cute so we we, t- we had to talk about that a lot and I think part of going through these hard kind of transitions is not brushing them under the rug and be like you're fine you're fine it's okay you know no let's talk about this this is hard and Shoshana and Kaya had to talk about it to each other and mm. they both had to recognize that it's hard for both of them Shoshana you know it's hard entering a new family but she had to realize that we're also adjusting to her and to her joining our family it's not only about her right it's about everybody right. who is adjusting to the situation so thank God um, things are really settled in that respect like Chaya signed um, a letter just recently and I was cracking up she goes love your first but not oldest daughter oh <laughs> she's so cute so it's really really cute so Shoshana um, she joined she joined our camp two summers ago for a couple weeks and um, 
she's from Wyoming and she, you know, had a very tragic kind of upbringing. Her birth, her birth mother had died when she was young and her, her, her dad who, you know, loves her just couldn't provide the stable environment that a child deserves, right. you know, and he was struggling and just not in a good place. And after camp, it was kind of like, you know, she wanted to stay and we were more aware of her situation. And it was kind of just like, how, you know, how do you turn away from that? you know and it would make sense too because adopting a preteen is definitely a challenge and I think no one would hold it against us and, and I don't think God would either you know right. but we just really felt that this was meant to be and she was brought into our life for a reason and uh, so she joined our family um, two, uh, about two years ago um, and she when she joined our family her name was actually Courtney and she chose her Jewish name and I think it's so beautiful she chose Shoshana Yael because, oh. oh, like you. Mm -hmm. um, and Shoshana's because she felt like she was a, a rose amongst the thorns. And Yael's because um, she really connected to that warrior spirit, you mm -hmm. know, and fighting for her her life and her, her better um, future. And so that's, you know, we call her Shoshana. And um, she's, she's wonderful. She's smart. She's talented. She's spiritual. And she's also a teenager. Right. So, it's so she's, she's normal. <laughs> yeah. And, and also, besides her being a normal teenager, it is definitely a challenge of raising um, a 12 year old who you didn't get to raise from the beginning. So it's walking that line of also being having firm boundaries, but also growing and developing that relationship at the same mm. time, which is a challenge because when you need to have boundaries, you're not you it doesn't feel like you're building that relationship. Wow, true. But you know, it is that process. And part of those showing her the clear boundaries is showing her the love and showing her that we care about her and showing her that, you know, life is is about, you know, not being able to do whatever you want at all times, you know, it's about having that structure and, and that structure, whether she recognizes or not helps her feel safe and helps her feel like she doesn't have to take care of herself. She ha is now in a family that is going to take care of her and going to teach her how to grow and how to develop into a, a, a beautiful young lady. So, you know, definitely, um, definitely very different than raising a child from birth and definitely having to build that connection and that love as an older child and as not having that cute cuddly baby time to build that connection is definitely um, different but it can be done and you just have to really put your mind to it and and be able to also understand that it's not always going to feel fun and it's not always going to be you know all you know uh, you know roses you know mm -hmm. it's all it's going to be it's, re it's, it's real down and dirty you know but you get you get you know you persevere and what happens out of that is is mind-blowing and so you just have to keep your eye on the prize you know sometimes and my husband and I will be like we have to remind ourselves okay what's our end game here what's our end game when when there's a challenge it's like okay eye on the prize eye on the prize and you kind of help get through those challenging moments wow this is this has taken parenting to a whole new level <laughs> yeah there's no such thing like I talk to my siblings all the time there's no such thing as just saying whatever comes out of your mouth and it's really it, we call it intentional parenting like you really yeah. have to be thoughtful and because you don't realize what you say can trigger something for her and you don't even know what it is and why so right um, and, and with all my children like it, you have to be really intentional of what you're what you're doing now not to say I fail at that completely all the time but at least I know that I'm failing and I'm I'll try 
to do better next time, you know? And I'm far from where I want to be, but and there's always room to grow. But it definitely, I've grown a lot as a person and as a mother with having these unique situations and just realizing like I have to be really careful with what I say and make sure that the message that I want to come across is coming across mm -hmm. and not my frustration or my anger or my, you know, because that's not really the, even if I am that, that's not the message that I want to give, you know, the message I want to give is support and love and, and knowing that who's boss, you know, like, yeah. yes, I'm the mom and the I'm boundaries. Gonna boundaries and you don't have to like them. They don't have to feel good. They don't have to be fun, but that's what my job is. You know what I mean? Like, I totally so. know what you mean. And I'm so glad we're having this conversation because the truth <laughs> is we should all parent like that. And so it's such a, it's such a good yeah. reminder that, um, that intentional parenting is the way we all need to be doing it. Um, it's just for you, it's, it's become so much more obvious and it's such a great reminder to all of us. Yeah. And then the other important thing for me is knowing that when I mess up and I do very often, um, it's really powerful to be able to go to your child and say, wow, did not do that right. Um, I'm sorry. And I will try better next time. And mm -hmm. what that teaches them is that it's okay to make mistakes because right. we're not perfect. We're human. You know, and they can make mistakes and I make mistakes. And when you recognize where you went wrong, then at least there's somewhere to rebuild, you know, right. but if you're just going to brush it under the rug and be like, you know, I'm the parent. So it doesn't matter if I messed up and I, I'm, you know, does, I don't have to answer to my children. You know, part of that's true, but you're going to get much farther if you're able to swallow that and be like, wow, you know, wow. Let's I, do that I, again. I, next time. <laughs> my emotions got the best of me there, you know, right. And I've had to do that a lot because so much of parenting is so emotionally charged, you know? Yes. And we, you know, and it's okay. Like, you know, and all, I have a lot of um, great support and therapists and parenting advocates in my life. And awesome. they're like, you know what? It's okay to make a mistake. That just shows that you're human, you know? Yeah, and, and that you're building a relationship when you're having those conversations of, you know, I could have done this better. It just shows right. the child that we're in, we're in a relationship. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I care about, it's a two street. Right, uh, exactly, yeah. Uh, Javi, as Shluchim, um, you have a very public life as it relates to your community. You are roles, role models of the, the face of Judaism. And so these people have seen you and your husband go through the journey of adoption multiple times, dealing with Zizi's condition, which is certainly, you know, something difficult to deal with in a Montana setting. Well, anywhere, but especially, you know, in that remote location. I'm curious to know what impact have your life choices had on community members? And if you have any stories, maybe or, you know, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. Honestly, I obviously can't speak for them, you know, and I don't, you know, if you would ask them, I'm not really sure exactly what they would say. But mm -hmm. what I hope is that they would say is that we put our money where our mouth is, right? We talk all the time about challenges. And we talk all the time about how we have to persevere through challenges. And we talk all the time about Hashkacha Pratis and divine providence and how everything happens for a reason. And here, we had the unique opportunity of actually showing that we really believe it, mm. right? And so we believe that things happen for a reason. And we believe that life is hard, but our challenges make us who we are. And so I think not, not always can we actually practice what we preach. And I feel like almost blessed that I have the opportunity to really show that this is not just talk. We don't just hmm. say these things 
things to, for you and you have to live by it, but we don't, you know, or we don't just say these things to make you feel better. We say these things because we truly believe them. And when a, when a challenge arises and when life doesn't go the way you planned, what are you going to do with that? Are you going to let it beat you down or are you going to, you know, pick yourself up and decide where you're going to continue next? But at the same time, it's really important, I think, now just to mention it's okay to have those beaten down moments. I I, ha- I had them and I still have them. I don't want anyone to, God forbid, think that you are never allowed sad or upset at Hashem. I've had a lot of angry conversations with God, you know? Mm. I think those things are very important. And it's really important to be able to be in that moment of pain and anger and confusion. Because if you just ignore them, they're going to come up in all different ways and they're never going to leave you alone. So what I've learned through my journey is you face those feelings. Don't push them away. Way. you want to have a bad day have a bad day you know and but that's okay and if you let yourself go through those bad days they will go through you'll you'll pass through them much quicker because you're facing them if you just say well I'm gonna pick myself up and I'm not gonna and I'm just gonna pretend that I don't have any pain and I'm just gonna move forward it's gonna work for a little while but then you're gonna get stuck because you're not working through those emotions so I just think it's really important to interject that we are human and Hashem made us human with all our emotions and all our feelings and we need to recognize them and we need to be there and we need to embrace them so that we can move on in a healthy real way not in a fake like I'm gonna be fine kind of way and I'm really not does that make sense that makes absolute sense but I think the maybe what I feel maybe people are wondering okay but I still have to pick myself up um, right. so I think you you mentioned God multiple times and I'm wondering if do you think that having that Amuna and Hashem is what allows you to yes experience those feelings but don't not let them get you so down that you fall down the pit because I, well, feel- I think it, I yeah I, I I completely agree I think it's twofold I think that I don't know where I would be if I didn't believe in Hashanah practice mm-hmm. if I didn't believe in divine providence I'd be like what's the point why'd you put me in this world why did you do this to me I don't get it and I feel like I really would be a lost soul because right. I wouldn't have purpose I wouldn't know like even though I don't know what the reason is necessarily I can make up my own reasons and they work for me but I don't know what the real ultimate reason is why we go through the challenges for that we sure. do. But at least I believe that there is a reason which helps me understand that there's a bigger picture that maybe I don't need to know about, but I mm-hmm. need to know that there is one. Right. Sec- secondly, is a way more practical thing is therapy. Like you need, uh, for yeah. me, I would not have been able to um, be as, or I'd like to think I'm emotionally healthy and I do struggle, <laughs> but I don't, I don't think I would be able to be there without that support of understanding. Like I think in the beginning, I didn't understand that maybe I wasn't facing my emotions and I was just forging forward because I'm an impatient practical kind of person and not really dealing with the grief and the loss that came with it you know but with the help of a therapist and with becoming more aware of my emotions and who I am I'm able to understand that there's there's grief and there's pain and if I let myself be in the moment when I feel that grief and pain I feel like it could be a moment it could be a couple hours and then I, I feel like I could move on in a healthy real way not a fake I'm going to ignore my emotions kind of way so for example Mm -hmm. you know um, in the past where you know I have thank God many siblings and many siblings in laws that are someone's always pregnant right and someone's always having a baby and so um, getting that phone call can be painful sometimes you know depending on where I am in my emotional state so 
So if, you know, in the old me would be, you know, feel pain, but be like, well, why should I even feel pain? Um, and push it away and just pretend it didn't exist and move on. And then I'm cranky. I have attitude. I'm angry. And I don't know why, you know? Mm-hmm. And going through that process of being more in tune with my emotions, you get the phone call, you feel pain, you feel pain and you let yourself feel pain. And guess what? The pain lasts a few minutes or maybe a few hours and then it's done because mm-hmm. you faced it. You didn't right. push it away. So that's my, that's what I'm trying to say is, you know, when you are able to be real and, and be in tune with your emotions, that allows you to pick yourself up in a way healthier way than ignoring them. Wow, Javi, you've been such an inspiration. We have so much to think about here and apply in our own personal lives. Let's wrap it up with some JLP fill in the blank. And this is the part of the show where I'll give you a statement and you just fill it with the first thing that comes to mind, all right? I don't know about this. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We'll try. I'm Javi Brooke and I feel most spiritual when... Um. I'd have to say um, lighting Shabbos candles. Mm. I think for me, I mean, that's the crazy busyness of the week. You have to stop. You have to like close your eyes. And you're, to me, it forces me to be, you know, kind of present in the moment, welcoming in Shabbos, but also davening for my family, davening for, you know, whatever needs to be and being thankful for what we have. And so I think in that moment, because I, it's kind of hard for me to produce spiritual moments in the chaos of every day. But when when you're forced to it's um and then i can actually appreciate you know i'm more present in that moment because yes. i can appreciate it. yes i can relate my favorite mitzvah or one i feel most connected with is it could be the same one but some some many people have something different yeah um this one actually is not so hard for me um to pinpoint for me which is really an open home and being welcoming and inviting guests and hosting i feel really connected to that and i love doing it i grew up in a home like that so it feels um it feels natural but it also feels like it's kind of you know my mission and um i feel great joy when i can host and and make people feel welcome and um feed them good food and so and 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 it works really well with with my job description so i'm grateful (laughs) (laughs) yes yes how fun and i'm sure um your kids are really incorporating that you know it's like you you teach them by modeling sometimes they say things and I'm like what you know like where which house did you grow up in but yeah but you know what you learned it from your parents and maybe when you were younger you didn't appreciate it but look at you now you know yeah yeah for the most part I hope that they can appreciate it as well which is my goal I'm sure they will my fondest sweetest Jewish memory is okay so I'm gonna be completely honest here I have a terrible memory terrible (laughs) so um it's gonna be really hard for me to come up with a specific story but for me growing up in San Antonio on Shlechas, um, I loved the like the holidays. Um, I just the whole atmosphere, the whole preparation and getting ready for it, and the meals and the serving and the hustle and the bustle. I just I I loved it growing up, and now I still love it. Now it's a little harder because the responsibility is on me and not my mother, and, um, <laughs> and I don't get to just enjoy. I have to work really hard for it. But the, so, there's something so special about the holiday. I feel like the the atmosphere feels different, and it's really cool to live in Bozeman and celebrate a holiday where nobody else is and it's just a regular 
regular Monday or Tuesday for everybody else. But for you, you're in a completely alternate universe. Yes. It's so cool. Like, um, so I love the holidays growing up. I still love them today. And I just remember that energy and that atmosphere that the holidays created. And I don't have a favorite holiday. So if you're gonna ask me that, I don't have it. True. I love them all. No, (laughs) no, it is a different energy. It's it's a it's also a distinctly unique energy different from Shabbos even it's just um, I don't know it's hard to put into words yeah all right I I just have a lot of memories from that something I wish I had learned about Judaism growing up is okay so I'm probably going to answer this question a little differently than you would expect Um, basically I don't think I wished I would have known anything different because I for me part of the journey is coming across of these learning experiences as you as you learn them right Mm. so um, what it would be very different if I for example knew where my life would be and how each turn and twist and turn would happen I have a very different life but because you don't know and because learning is a journey and learning is part of the experience of learning is learning it at the time that you learn it so if I could go back I kind of wouldn't change anything because I think having those lessons and learning them as you grow and as different stages in your life kind of makes you who you are Um, so I don't know if I wished I knew anything differently do you know what I mean I totally know what you mean and beautifully said yes when I give tzedakah I like to give too uh so I really like to um I give a lot to like the the it's called Shabbos so mm. to help people celebrate Shabbos and Yantif. um and so you know they create food packages and whatever for people who just don't have enough you know mm-hmm. um so I really I really connect with that a lot I also connect with I kind of like to see um what's going on in the moment so if there's a particular family in need or you know there's a particular um campaign going on or whatever I kind of you know if, if I'm giving stuff then I kind of lo- look to see like what's going on in the moment um, but but kind of that 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 Shabbos and Yantif support is my go-to wow and finally I'm Javi Brook and today I'm most grateful for Okay, I'm really, really grateful for my family, um, my children, but also my parents, my siblings, um, my in-laws, my my sister-in-laws, my friends, and my community. Because I don't think I would be where I was today without the amazing support and love and acceptance that everyone surrounded me has given me. And it just it makes such a difference because you know you do these crazy things and you do these out of the box things and you you know people think you're crazy, but really they're you know all the people in my life have been so supportive from my friends to my family to my community and you know there's no words to explain to express how grateful I am for that and I don't take it for granted so it's really special wow Javi you are such an inspiration I want to come to Montana and just give you a big hug or maybe we should come and experience it's beautiful (laughs) you come we'll 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 treat you like the princess you are right so we'll we'll uh, we'll hopefully be able to uh, accomplish accommodate you know I'm, um, I'm actually a very easy low-key princess <laughs> yeah no that's awesome but yeah Bozeman's beautiful it's a great place to come with your family and we would love to have you at any time Javi I, I, I can't say thank you enough for everything you've shared with us and if anybody out there um you know, is struggling with infertility, or you are, you're raising adopted kids, and, um, or you're considering adoption, you know, be in touch. Got it covered. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Be in touch. And maybe, you know, maybe I could put you in touch with Javi and, um, or, you know, or listen very carefully to this interview and distill all the nuggets of wisdom and faith, strength, and, and just practicality. Also, um, Javi, thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was a real honor. 
honor. And I hope we get to speak soon. And that's Javi Brook for you, ladies. What do you think? Pretty amazing, right? I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you've been here for a while and you never left a review, well, head over to iTunes and click on that review button and leave me a review and rating. I love checking those out. And if you know of a uniquely talented Jewish woman whom you'd like me to feature on the show, please reach out to me at yael at jewishlatinprincess.com. Everybody, I'll see you here next week. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating, and share the podcast with the Jewish women you love. To access today's show notes, ask Yael a question, or suggest a uniquely talented Jewish woman to be featured on the show, visit jewishlatinprincess.com.